gonna rock this shit. Gonna scream my name. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout. Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Mike Bourne. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
from his brand new release and we got mike on the line right now hey mike how you doing i'm doing good how you doing i'm doing pretty well now this is the first time you're on our show and we always start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know not only you as an artist but you as a person and and as an you know your own entity uh so give us the story of mike Bourne. Uh, well, I moved to Kansas City after college, and I hadn't played any kind of music at all. And I heard the blues the first time on uh, the local radio show here, uh, Lindsey Shannon, and I was mesmerized by it. Uh, so I bought a, a cheapo um, acoustic guitar and kind of locked myself in the closet for about a year and just taught myself from the radio show so that was the start of it for me and 
probably got out live in the next year and then it just kind of grew a little bit in Kansas City got into my first band and played around here and then in uh, 2000 I think it was I moved to Chicago and the first week I was there I was hired by um, really randomly by Bark and Bill Smith on Delmark and that's where like the education really started for me I was playing with all the you know the old guys were still playing around Chicago so and Bill was taking me around everywhere and we were traveling and I learned a lot from that period uh, including did to play in Sam Lay's band uh, Wolf Strummer for a while and I met Johnny there too originally and so obviously that's been a long term connection but uh I did that uh, as a sideman, and then I moved to Atlanta after about eight years in Chicago, and then started playing again as, uh, for a guy you may know him, Patrick Vining was a singer down there. And then I started to just uh, front the, uh, the, the band myself, Patrick decided to leave, and um, started Atlanta Boogie down there, and became friends with Tommy Brown. and. And just all, all got into the Atlanta music scene, and uh, we're playing all the clubs down there, and Northside, Blind Willies, all the usual haunts, and then uh, kind of found my voice and my footing and my songwriting. Got the attention of um, John Hahn, who's Shamikia Copeland's writer and manager, and so that grew. And then I came back to Kansas City, and then the pandemic happened. <laughs> And so all, all the work shut down really for almost two years. But in, at the last part of it, um, I, I decided I want to write this record and get some of the people who had, uh, who I had, when I just started out, listened to, to play on it. And so that's, the, and then um, that's the majority of, of the record. And then I added in uh, Johnny. I thought RX Styles would be a really nice contrast. And then, uh, uh, so made that record, and that's doing well now. And here I am in Kansas City. And in the meantime, I should add that I've traveled back and forth to uh, Manila and Bangkok and do shows over there. Um, that's a, that's a long story in itself, but I, I try and do that about once a quarter. Okay. Well, it seems like you're keeping yourself busy now. Um Let's talk about the new release. If you were to kind of explain to someone about this release and get them excited about going out and listening to it, what would you tell them? I I think this, like, uh, a lot of people maybe overlook Kansas City a little bit in spite of the rich musical history of it. And then, so I was thinking a lot about you know, doing some jump blues and some of the, that style only with my own lyrics. And, uh, but really, I, I think this is, this record is like kind of evolution of, you know, all of my influences. The, the title track, which hit number one this week is like really, it's like if Freddie King got out of the grave and come, came back today and decided I'm going to do another new instrumental. That's, <laughs> that's how it was described to me. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, and then just the songwriting, there's some personal stuff on it, like the help, help somebody who can't help you back. And then just some, sometimes I 
find humor in writing a song about why Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, which is also on there. And then uh, I, I usually take two passages or tell them a story uh, that's personal to me or hearing something like I did on um, my friend's dad, Portuguese dad had a phrase that was uh, lose, your, lose your rings, keep your fingers. And he explained to me what that was, and I instantly knew I had to write a song about it. Um, so that's kind of how, how it came. And we recorded it mostly, you know, live in the studio. It was probably two, two, two or three days of tracking, and not not really a whole lot of overdubbing. I wanted to do it live, and I, it just turned out great. And it took me about a year and a half to get it out and hook up with Blue Heart and Betsy, um, but I'm glad I did, and I'm glad that people are digging it a whole lot so far. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about you as a songwriter. When you sit down to begin the process of writing, what is your um, your your process that kind of lets you tap into the muse? Um, like I said, like, I, I travel a lot, uh and uh, I like to hear oh, eavesdrop or hear uh, stories that people tell. And if there's an interesting phrase or something like that, then I always write it down. And some of my songs come that way. And then some just uh, come from about how I'm feeling, which is definitely to help somebody who can't help you back, which was something like my granddad used to say a lot. Or and another one I wrote a few years back was I called I'd rather be happy than normal, and so it's more kind of internal feelings. And I usually get the idea, you know, the main hook idea of the song, and um, I collect all those, and then then I start writing the the lyrics around those when I'm ready to make a record. Okay, now. Um a lot of songwriters have embraced the technology today as tools in their toolkit, uh, whether it's a cell phone or to capture ideas or a home recording studio. What are some of the tools you have found to be ins- indispensable to you as a writer? <laughs> I have a Sharpie and I have a three watt old silver tone amp in a case and a 1955 acoustic arch stop. And I think I've written nearly everything I've ever written using those. So I don't know. I don't know if I've quite embraced the technology thing for writing yet. Well, but I do record. I do record like I record it in my living rooms when I'm making it to, to hear the parts with uh, just with my computer. So okay. Well, you know, one of the big um, buzzwords in in the industry today has been artificial intelligence, and. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, I, 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 hear, I heard a, an interview with Ed Sheeran, how he u- uses this technology as kind of an idea machine. Uh, now you have Paul McCartney. He's going to re-release uh, a, um, a Beatles uh, single and, and bringing back John Lennon and, and George Harrison to fill out the vocals. Um, what do you think of artificial intelligence and how it's going to affect the industry in the future? Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of doing stuff like that, but it could be because uh, of the the music that 
the style that I'm in, which is more, I think, authentic. And I know it's the same way as like vinyl sounds better than anything after it and old amps and guitars. So, but I don't like, you know, I, I'm sure it will change and that will become a tool for artists. And I don't, I don't have any feelings, ill feelings for people who do it. It's just not for me. Okay. Now, um, one of the, I think, uh, one of the biggest problems with, with young song songwriters is they, they don't know when to stop and put the pen down and allow the song to move from the writing phase into the production phase. Um, what, what do you do to kind of determine when a song is ready to bring to the band or, or bring into the studio? I, yeah, that's not, I, I go through the, usually it's, I'd say that it's, it's, it's lyrics maybe first, yeah, probably lyrics drive me, like lyrics first, and I'll I'll write it out long form, and then I'll just add it and add it, and then <clears throat> get a hook or an arrangement in my head. But I don't drag that process out. I mean, I, it's it's a couple months maybe to write and edit and get it ready for to to get the players lined up and get in the studio. Um, but but those inspiration times come in. And burst, and then they go away. So when they happen, you just take advantage of it. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? Uh, on the rhythm section, Patrick Recob plays bass on everything. He's long-term uh, great player here in Kansas City. He played with uh, Gary Primich's band for long while and he's just been all over he's just a good good vibe who knows all the old school stuff uh adam hagerman played the majority of um the drums and he's great he's a big kansas city drummer he's played with a lot of people around here um uh dave creighton who passed away uh in between the time we made this and released it, played all the organ, and he's one of the legendary, the professor, as people call them around here, legendary players. Um, and he, he, we, we rehearsed the whole record at his house. He was on, yeah, he was on everything, too. Uh, and then, obviously, Johnny Bergen uh, from Chicago, who we've been friends since, since I moved there. He used to do Smoke Daddies on Monday nights, was the big place all the musicians would gather because not many people were working on Mondays. And he had a show and jam and crazy times there. Uh, so he came in and did it. And then there was one track I put on the, you know, oh, Mickey Munez played on the, uh, Too Young to Be Old. He's, he's a really cool drummer from around this area too. And then Tim, on the title track, Tim Osborne was, known as the shuffle master in Kansas city. And he had cancer, uh, and he knew, you know, he had a short time and I wanted to get him in the studio for, especially for that track, because he had that kind of shuffle that nobody, it was just, just really unique. And it really, I think made the song as number one right now. So I guess that, that, that one's for Tim. Um, 
and then the the last track is me in the studio in Chicago. It's a track I've been sitting on for a long time, but I thought it'd be a nice ending for this uh, with Big D playing Chromatic Harp. Uh, and then, um, who was it on piano? I'm drawing a blank. I'm sorry. Johnny Iguana. That's who it was. Okay. Yeah. I know Johnny. Yeah. He's killer. Uh, and, and then, uh, Grins on bass and Rob Lorenz played drums on that. So some classic Chicago guys that, uh, we had done that on a session where D was recording and I kept it cause I thought it was really cool. And I wanted a kind of a slow, greasy blues for the end of this one. And that, that served that purpose. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about going into the studio. Um, every artist has their way of, of capturing their sound and, and working in that environment. Some guys like to do it live from the floor. Others like to track it. And then others did it pandemic style where they were slinging stems around the Internet um, when you get in that environment of the studio, what is your process that you like to use to kind of help you capture the sound you're looking for? I like to, to, to do it live for the most part with people and, and, and the, um, you know, and, and you're going to have to have a little isolation booth stuff going, but I'll open the door so that I can see everybody and we're tracking all together. And in some cases I'll, I'll decide to add something on top of it. But the, the main track I want to always do live and I want to get some of that room sound just like you're playing at a club. So that's definitely the way I like to do it. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about getting it out there. You're working with uh, Betsy Brown of Blind Raccoon to kind of uh, do your PR, radio. Tell me about that relationship. Uh, yeah, that's Ian, uh, Blind Raccoon, uh, and Blue Heart. They've been great, and they've kind of held my hand through a lot of it because I had everything else I've done just kind of independently and hodgepodge. So it's the first time I had kind of an organized release, so I learned a lot. But, um, you know, they've got it figured out for the modern age about how to get get stuff out and, and get it people in the right people's hands. And then really it's after that, it's up to, did you make something good that people want to play or hear, but they, they, they just have worked their butt off. That's all I can, and I, I, I've been totally impressed by them okay. and grateful that, 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 uh, they took a chance on this one. Now, um, let's talk about the industry. Um, things have changed over the last 30 years the digital revolution has uh, really brought us to a point where the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. Um, you know, it, it's convenient for 10, 15 bucks. You got access to pretty much everything that's been recorded in the last hundred years. Um, the problem is, is that recorded music no longer is looked at as a product to purchase. It's now more of a service. Um, how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, it's just, uh, I mean, it's taken the, the way that uh, it, it's just, it takes money, you know, revenue, a way that to make a, a living at it is just gone. 
like on Spotify, if you get a million streams, a million, you'll make four thousand dollars. Like that's crazy. Like imagine if you sold a million singles back in you know fifties or sixties, you'd be doing really well. So, uh, and I've talked to even in the last ten fifteen years because I'm friends with and John writes a lot of Shinikia stuff, and his royalty checks went from a certain amount down to really almost nothing. So I, everybody's trying to figure it out, but I, I think it right now it's bad for the regional people like me to try and figure out how, how to, um, you know, to make a living or what you got to do other things and all that stuff. But if, if it doesn't change or people don't get it figured out, then there'll probably be just less artists, I think. I don't know, man. That's a tough question. Well, you know, we all know that the revenue from uh, streaming is not a sustainable business model. I mean, let's face it. You know, you can't continue to ask artists to create content and not compensate them fairly for their work. Um, you know, and, and that's just the reality. Uh, unfortunately, for independent artists, you can't opt out of this because if you're if someone goes up there and looks for you and you're not found on Spotify, you automatically become irrelevant. I mean, uh, the last statistic I read, it's like 20,000 songs a week being uploaded to these services. You know, that's a massive amount of music. If you're not there, you you just looked over. You know, the, the consumer controls that market. So we have to participate. But the shining uh, light of this is that there is technology coming down the pike that's going to change things, I think. Um, if you look at the digital revolution, I mean, we started with LimeWire and Napster, where people were file sharing. Then we went to iTunes, where everyone was iPod crazy, you know, and now, of course, nobody has an iPod anymore unless it's in their drawer, just sitting there dead as a doornail. Um, you know, and then they were, everybody was screaming, you know, uh, Apple will own the music industry forever. Well, that didn't happen, you know, and now they said, well, Spotify will own the music industry forever. Well, I don't think so. Um, it's going to evolve. Things are going to change. It has to. Uh, and one of the things I'm watching is these new streaming services that have been developed utilizing the same technology that cryptocurrency uses the blockchain and the advantage of that is that nobody can own these services you can't own uh, no one person no corporation nothing it is owned by the fans and by the artists who put up their content and the big advantage of that is it only takes 20 percent of the incoming revenue to run the network the other 80% is going to be distributed back to the people who are being streamed, the, the artists themselves. What do you think of that as a potential for the future of the industry? Yeah, I mean, that would be a good shift if that happens for sure, uh, away from where it is now, um, where really the only way, if you're playing a niche genre, you can make money is you got to go out and sell stuff at gigs which is your storefront or festivals so yeah that that would that would be if that if it tilts back that way then it's going to be 
maybe it'll yeah it will definitely be better well you know there's 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 a few of these technologies that i that i'm finding really interesting the other one is this site called royal.io and what they do is they allow you to create these nfts these non-fungible tokens that represent a small portion of your streaming royalties or or your publishing royalties, whatever the case may be. And one of the rap artists, Nas, what he did is he took two songs off his last release and he made enough of these NFTs. And I think they, they represented, I think it was 0.015% of his streaming royalties, each one of these NFTs. And he made enough to cover one half of the songs, um, on two songs on his release sold it to his fan base and was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. On top of that, he now had almost 3,000 fans that had an economic interest in making sure that his music is streamed. In other words, you know, they get paid when he gets paid. So it's almost like buying stock in a song. Um, and this seems like it's a good way to replace the, the the label structure that we have been living with over the last, you know, 50 years. Um, what do you think of that as a potential for the future? Yeah, I mean, that sounds, definitely sounds promising. And there's a lot of logic behind the, that kind of a setup that could... Uh, get us out away from the Spotify streaming stuff. Yeah. You know, either that or Spotify, you know, wakes up and, and adopts places, you know, I doubt it. Yeah, too. But, you know, you never know. Um, now, one of the things, you know, when the pandemic hit, a lot of us went up and we started to do live streams and, you know, just to stay connected, give us something to do. We're all locked in our homes uh, and as the months turned into years, we had to get more creative with the content. We got better at live streaming, of course, but we also started to create content that was outside the music itself, where we were putting up content about our, our families, our, you know, uh, our pets, our hobbies, you know, more intimate, more personal and the fans really gravitated to that. And if you think about it, we have been inundated with this reality show mentality over the last 30 years. We've kind of, you know, ver we're very acclimated to that authentic kind of raw content. And a lot of artists have, have, have deemed that as part of their marketing strategy where they create this branding opportunity online to not only show their fans who they are as artists, but who they are as people. Uh, and that's been very effective for a lot of artists. What are some of the things that you are doing on social media and, and content creation that's helping you advance your brand as well as, you know, getting the word out on this new release? Um, to be honest with you, I haven't. That's not a, a strength of mine, but like this record has definitely pushed me into that farther than I've been in a while. With um, a lot of help too from from Betsy and Sally, so I can see the 
how that's going to help me and I can see who's doing it good in this space too. And so I'm, I'm learning a lot, but I the completely redid the Facebook fan page and that's a lot more robust than it was because I was relying on a lot of my personal stuff. But, uh, yeah, so I'll be doing content stuff once a week, even if it's about something silly that people might care about it because it's just, I don't know, what's Mike doing now? What's the band doing? So it could be outside of music or it could be me sitting down and playing a song that's on my mind, stuff like that, just to give people a reason to follow and continue to look at the channel. I mean, right now it's all about the record and it probably will be for the next month, but but that set me up to do more things with the page as it, as it grows. Okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And um, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You may just want to turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight.
had a great fall independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. I'm 